Good morning, Sojourn. Well, um, as he said, uh, church planning resident here. My name is Carlos, uh, for those who don't know me. Um, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning, and it's a privilege, humbling privilege always, to, to preach the word of the gospel to you. Um, so we've been, we've been in a series, right, entitled Kingdom Expansion, where we've seen and been walking through the days immediately following Jesus' resurrection and ascension uh, and seeing how uh, kind of how the, how the church was living out uh, God's call and, and uh, seeing how that kind of applies to our context as well. And so, so today's sermon has been titled Expansion by Evangelism. Okay, um, I've waited a long time to preach about evangelism here. No. <laughs> uh, but we'll be diving into the historical account of, of God's illogical call to Philip the evangelist in, in sending, sending him out to the desert uh, to, to, to bump into this Ethiopian eunuch, right? This is what we'll be looking into this. And so in this chapter, in chapter 8 of Acts, we, we, we have an account of the persecution of Christians and, and the propagating of Christianity. And we can observe from this chapter that the more Christians were persecuted, the more they prospered, right? That the more opposition they 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 experience the gospel just continue to flourish and and keep going forward is what we see and so philip was one of the seven men chosen to tend to some of the temporal affairs in the jerusalem church uh some things that had arisen between the hellenists and the hebrews so there was some ethnic tension there uh and philip was one of those seven men that was appointed to 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 tend to these affairs so the apostles can 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 focus to the prayer and to the to the to the scriptures and, and to the spreading of of of, of the gospel and, and doing this and so and so he was one of these men and but he we see here in, in chapter eight that that he was called by God and so he went to Samaria right and so this was after uh, Stephen uh, was stoned he went to Samaria and preached with power and much success there and so we see how God really used them in a mighty way. God, God did miracles uh, in their sight and, and people came to faith. And so Philip, you could say, was, was seeing a lot of fruit in Samaria. But then, but then God, through an angel, right, maybe through a vision or of some sort, uh, God calls him to leave Samaria and to go to this, this desert place. Right? He, he, calls, he calls him to go from Jerusalem uh, to the south to a road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is a desert. And so he obeyed and went. And Philip was, was filled with God's spirit, being sensitive to God's leading, even when it didn't make sense. And this is one of those occasions. Philip was, was seeing God move mightily among them, as I was saying. And so I can imagine, it doesn't say here, and I'm not saying that this happened, but I can place myself in Philip's shoes and, and think, God, what, you're doing such mighty things here in Samaria. I'm seeing so much fruit. What, what, what is this that you tell me to go out into a desert place? Like, what, what's going on here? I, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but nevertheless, Philip obeyed and he went. And you, would, you would think God would allow him to stay where he was at, where he was seeing the most fruit. Sometimes we, we think in that way as well. But Philip was in tune with God's spirit. 
and was a man led by the Spirit. So he trusted in God's direction and guidance because we see that he obeyed ultimately. And, and for us today, we, we must seek to be Spirit-filled people as well and trust in him enough to obey his voice when he calls. And oftentimes when he calls, his call may not seem logical uh, at the moment when he calls us to do certain things or to go to certain places or to share the gospel with a specific person, maybe uh, at work or family or just a random stranger. Um, He may be calling us to a specific place in this world. And to us, it just makes no sense because maybe we're seeing a lot of a lot of uh, mighty things that God is doing amongst us where we're currently at. And we say, God, why would you call me somewhere where it seems that um, it, it's, it's such rough ground? And, I, and you may go and maybe, you, maybe some of you have, have experienced that where, where you see God is moving mightily in a specific place where you've been at or maybe a ministry you've been a part of. But God says, no, um, you, you're going over here. And you go and, and you see no fruit for a while. You see, you see no one come to faith. You see actually just issues rising up and you say, man, what's going on here? What? Man, back when I was uh, at such and such ministry at, or at a, a specific city or a specific church, like, I saw so much fruit. Maybe I made a mistake in, in, in going to this place where I'm currently at, right? But the way we think, obviously, is, is lower than God's mind. And so he calls us to things that sometimes don't make, don't make sense to us. And we may think God isn't moving. God isn't doing a mighty work because we don't see the physical fruit. And we don't see people breaking down and, and worshiping Christ and, and repenting and putting their faith in him. Uh, but God, God is always at work, even when we may not see visible fruit. And so I think this is, though he... Uh, went out into the desert thinking maybe, and this is this is the desert, like what am I going to find over here if he needed work? I mean, there's no work in the desert, right? There's nothing out there. And not only that, but God not only called him to something that may have not made sense, but then when he when he approaches this Ethiopian eunuch, he's, he's Ethiopian. And I want to point that out because back in that context, back in those days, uh, the Ethiopians were looked at as the lowest of the low as the meanest and most despicable of people. And so here is God calling Philip, not only to go out to the desert, but to share about Jesus to, to a man that was seen in that day as, as, as someone who was of the lowest of the low. Ethiopians were seen that way. But we see here, uh, God is, is breaking that and shattering the, kind of the cultural norm of that day and calling Philip to share Christ with someone who was who was looked down upon and so for us today when when we when we take a look at this 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 historical account of of what Philip did by obeying the spirit to go out to the desert though it didn't make sense and and sharing Christ with this with this eunuch we we can draw out some, some principles from it. Uh, Brandon said last week, right, that there's some scriptures that are descriptive and prescriptive, right? This is not a prescriptive text. We can't say, you know, this is, this is a direct, immediate command for us to obey. But we can draw some things out from this text and, and, and say, okay, I, I can see Philip living a spirit-led life, a spirit-filled life. And um, 
I can see how God is working through him. I can see what God is calling him to do. Um, and, and the way God works through his people never changes. And maybe different situations, different contexts, different ages, but God works through his people always in the same, in the same way. So we can draw from that. That God wants us to be a spirit-led people when it comes to his mission. All of life, but specifically to today, we're focusing on, on God's mission. So I believe, I believe God wants us to know and believe the following. If, if, if you get anything today, it would, be, it would be this. That God often chooses unlikely routes for his people to magnify his own glory in the redemption of sinners in the expansion of his kingdom. And for those who are taking notes, there's three points here. It's number one is a missionary calling. Number two is a missionary God. And number three is a missionary people. Now, I know the word missionary is, is a Christian word. that It's thrown around a lot. So maybe some of you here that may not be Christian should give you a brief definition of what a missionary is. A missionary basically is someone who's sent by God uh, to, to a context to, to, to learn the people, the culture, the, the worldview, insert themselves as missionaries basically means them coming into this place, learning the context so that they can preach the gospel, make disciples in that context. The origin of that word in Latin is the same, is the same, has the same definition as the origin of the word apostle that we find in the Bible, which is to send. And so basically a missionary at its, at its most basic definition is someone who was sent. And so we, we are sent by God to fulfill his mission, his great commission. So we observe Philip's spirit-ledness that didn't make sense, result in a man from this unreached people group become a, a believer in Jesus, go back to his country, share the gospel, make disciples there. We see here that, that he was spirit, very, very much spirit-led, and we can apply it to our life today and as a church as a whole. We can apply it to us as a church. We can look at Acts eight twenty six through 27, and I'll read it for you again. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. And he rose and went in there. God instructed him to go through a way that made no sense. Like I've, like I've stated, and this was an unlikely road, yet God chose it. And in God's dealing with us, there will, there will come times when he's leading us to do things that, that don't make sense to step out into this territory. And the, the Christian life was was never meant to be comfortable. It was never meant to uh, just simply be something that we tag on to our, our own goals and our own missions. But, but yet God calls us when he calls us to him and he calls us to be his disciples. He, he calls us to, to forsake our own life. And so we, we actually see that in forsaking our life and losing our life in being his disciple. This is when we actually truly find our life. And we hear Jesus speak about that in the Gospels, that to lose our life for his sake is when we truly find it. And so, though, though, though I, I, I don't 
at all want to come off as if I'm like being a person that guilt trips because I've, I've had that done to me before. Not at all. I actually want you all to see it the total opposite, that in, in giving ourselves to God's mission, this is when we truly find our life. So in forsaking our life, forsaking our own earthly goals and missions in this life to fulfill God's mission of seeing people come to faith, seeing people be made into disciples. This is when we actually truly find our life as those who have been called out of darkness into light. Those who have become followers of Jesus. In any other mission that we choose to follow. Aside from God's mission, we, we will feel a sense of. A, a lack of, of, of this peace, knowing that we're fulfilling the call that we're supposed to. We were made. When we became Christians to obey God in this great commission, but not as a way to kind of remove part of our joy in our life, but it's actually a way for us to feel the fullest amount of joy that God has for us in fulfilling his call. And you can go back to, to Luke 14 and, and read kind of the cost of discipleship. These are words that Jesus gives us and says that, that those who, who, who aren't willing to forsake everything for me cannot be my disciples. And so these are, these are things that Jesus clearly tells us. And he wants us to have a heart, though, much like Paul in Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. He says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. And so he. He had he had this. This clear conviction that he knew that in obeying God's call and stepping out in, in fulfilling this call that. The, the only thing that he knew that he would definitely experience was affliction and suffering and persecution. Uh, but but his, his life and his ultimate desire was that of, of fulfilling God's call and not counting his own worldly you know, mission as something that was to be cl- clung to. And he said, I, I forsake that. I, I don't count my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only... I can fulfill the ministry God has called me to, to testify to the gospel of grace. But this can't be done, as I, as I stated earlier, by, by being emotionally guilt-tripped. Right? I, I can't, can't, we can't muster up enough zeal and passion by, by putting you know, a, a starving child on, on the screen up here from a third world country and get you to be on mission. That kind of stuff produces some form of, of work, but it is out of guilt. And eventually what that leads to is burnout. When we continue to guilt trip ourselves because we're not being great missionaries, we're not being good evangelists, we're not sharing the gospel the way we think we should, and all these things that make us feel maybe guilty for not being good enough. And so we'll, we'll, we'll try to share the gospel at work and we'll try to do all these things, but if it's coming out of a place of guilt, man, it's, it'll burn you out. To burn me out if we do that. So the key to that, the key for us as 
as, as disciples of Jesus and as a church for us to, to get to a point where we are sharing Christ vibrantly is by looking upon Christ and his beauty and what he is for us. When we gaze upon him, when we focus on who he is for us and who we are in him, an overflow of that worship to Christ will be evangelism. So our, our, the solution is not to see how, how bad you're doing and to try to be better. Our solution is to just gaze upon Jesus and worship Jesus. And the overflow of that is, is evangelism. Because we, we know and we see very clearly that we fail. Our affections, our desire, our zeal often grows numb. Often grow, we often grow apathetic and we, we get to a point where we're so focused on maybe things that we're going through, which is, which, which is fine. Like God, God wants us to deal with the things in our heart. He's not against us. And he's not a God up there in the heavens kind of with his arms crossed counting how many people you share Jesus with today. Like he, he wants you to worship him. He wants you to find your joy in him and let that joy overflowing from your heart lead you to joyfully want to share Jesus with others. If you do it in any other way, you'll get burnt out. I've been burnt out before. So I know how it feels to, to fall so low into despair. Because I feel like, man, I, I'm a terrible missionary. I'm not doing enough. I'm not trying hard enough. I could have shared the gospel with this person or with this person. And so worship to Jesus is our is our solution to that. But we find that we're often uh, easily uh, distracted. And so we see that where we fail to be good evangelists or, or missionaries, Jesus was the great, the perfect missionary, which is our second point, a missionary God. Where we fail in our lack of trust, in our lack of boldness, maybe in, in our conceit and overconfidence in our own ability, Jesus, Jesus was perfect. He fully submitted himself to the spirit, to obedience of the father while he lived on this earth. He, he obeyed fully the spirit's leading, ultimately being led to a cross and, and, right, and, and, and paying the price for our sin. And Jesus was the great and the perfect evangelist, the perfect missionary in our place. And so we, we can, I'm sure we can all find areas in our life where we struggle when it comes to mission and when it comes to evangelism, that like Jesus, Jesus was perfect in that. And so when we, when we find our rest in his perfection, the fact that he, he's actually the one on mission, brothers and sisters, he's the one on mission. From the very beginning, when he said, let there be light, he was on mission. When he clothed Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin, he was on mission. When he, when he descended on Mount Sinai to, to give the law, he was on mission. When he sent his prophets to preach repentance, to return to the Lord, God was on mission. And ultimately, we see God on mission when he became a man in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, and, and died a sinner's death in our place. Lived a perfect life in our place. So, Ultimately, this mission is his, but ultimately, he's the missionary and we're just vessels being used by him to fulfill this mission that 
that, that he's had from the beginning to create for himself a people to show his glory to. And that these people would then be used by him to reveal that glory to the rest of the world. And so, in, in light of that, in light of Christ being the fulfillment, being the perfect missionary, we can now be a missionary people from a place of rest and not from a place of guilt. We can strive to, to, to lay our life down, to forsake our own life, that we may find our life in Him out of a place of rest, knowing that in Christ we're secure, knowing that in Christ we have everything we need and that he's not looking, looking at us up there with a scorecard, checking off every time we obeyed him in, in, in his mission. No, but he sees us as the one that says, I, I took your place. And, and I remember that you're dust. I, I don't deal with you according to your sins. I remember that you're dust. So he's a compassionate God. And he's on, he's, he is on our side. He's not up there as a dictator but he's actually joyfully calling us to himself, knowing that in him we find our greatest joy and that that joy overflowing from our heart will produce this evangelism, this missionary, this missional life as a community. It's the, it's the love of Christ ultimately that compels us to be his, his witnesses. Like we see in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, and this, this love of Christ compels us to, to be witnesses and missionaries to our neighbors, our city, and our world. And, and we love him because he first loved us. So ultimately, this love is one that comes from him. So the love that God has for us, which then produced the love we have for him, is what compels us. So if you're, if you're a Christian in the room this morning, the, the call to you is, is to, be, to have your eyes so fixed on Jesus that the overflow of that is a desire to make Christ known amongst your neighbors, amongst your, your coworkers, amongst your family, um, our neighborhood, our city, our world. And the call today, don't, don't want you to hear, try harder, be a better uh, a preacher of the gospel. No, just look look upon Jesus. Look upon Jesus and what he did for you. Him being that that great missionary that came down into this into this world and, and ransomed us from slavery and bondage to sin, freed us from this captivity, and then says, You're free. But when that happens, our hearts are so transformed that we can do nothing else but offer ourselves up to him. So I want to I want to close with with this, this imagery of, of Deuteronomy fifteen tw- uh, twelve through seventeen. I'll, I'll read it for you for the sake of time. It says, "If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed." He shall furnish him liberally out of your, your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. 
as the Lord your God has blessed you. He shall give to him. He shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he is well off with you. Then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. And we see here instruction for a Hebrew man and, and how to treat a fellow Hebrew who he had bought as a slave and says that he, he ought to send him back the way he came in. But, but we see here that, that there's a, a, an instruction at the end. It says, but if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you in your household since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear. So we have this additional instruction that, that is placed in here by God. It says, but if the slave doesn't want to leave, uh, mark, mark him, that there be a, a, a visible mark, that this slave had the opportunity to leave, but he decided to stay because he loves you. Why on earth would a slave want to stay enslaved to his master? And, and here we, we have a shadow of, of Christ in the church, that when Christ sets us free, we, we are free indeed. We are free from captivity Slavery to sin, the guilt and the, and, and the condemnation that, that sin brings, we're free from that. And, and there is no sin so great that can separate us from the love of Christ. Yet when this truly happens, when we have been truly ransomed and freed from our slavery to sin, there's a radical change, a transformation that takes place in our hearts. Our desires are now changed and now our heart is one is a, has a posture of 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 love towards this master this this god who freed us from slavery and so so that that reaction is now one of man i, I, I lord I, I i've been freed but i want to be a slave to you now like I've, I've been freed from sin slavery to sin but now i i willfully submit myself as a slave to christ We freely offer up our lives to his service and his love then compels us to be his slaves, to be his witnesses. Only when that truth sinks in will, only when that truth sinks in will it produce um, a joyful desire to share Jesus with others. So as, 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 he, as, as the writer of Hebrews says, let, let us therefore run with endurance that the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what the author of Hebrews did as well. He said, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter. To run with endurance, you must look to the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he did it out of joy. And he wants you to obey and follow him out of joy, not out of begrudging submission. So we see 
you see this call to, to obey God in, in, in ways that don't make sense. We fail. God is our substitute. And because he's our substitute and has, has done it in our place, has fulfilled what we failed at in our place, we can be missionaries for him out of a place of rest. Let's pray.